and pour out your hope, your truth, your peace into the lives of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I confess, it happened to me this morning when I got in my car and I recognized it was already after 9 o'clock, except it wasn't because of the time change, but it didn't stop me from panicking and thinking that you were all here, seated in your spaces, and your preacher was nowhere to be found. It was not a good feeling. I'm glad, though, that it happened today this way, and not six months from now, when I would have not only been late, I would have been really late, right? Well, I digress. I want to continue today in our series and actually bring it to its conclusion on this topic of getting right with God. Now, this has been an interesting series. As we've gone along in the series, you know that we started by talking about the role of faith, that faith is very important. And then we talked about the importance of repentance. As we were moving through these topics, they got a little bit more controversial. And of course, last week we talked about the role of baptism and how important baptism is in God's plan. And, and there are a lot of different theological strings or thoughts that people have around these topics and these issues. Well, today we come to the final in this series, Getting Right with God, and, and we move towards a very interesting passage, a sermon, a message that Jesus tells. And it is a section of the Bible that is fraught with controversy because Jesus speaks about things at the end of time and what will happen. Now, before I ever even dive into all of that, and, and this is really not an end time sermon, the point of this that we're going to look at is a, a, a passage Jesus described about faithfulness and what God expects. You might say it's how do we stay right with God, but that in itself is a controversial thing to say. No, the controversies that fall out here, people have positions that are premillennial, based on some things Jesus said, or post-millennial, or amillennial, and the truth today is I'm not going to get into any of that. <laughs> I'm going to copy a phrase that was written almost 100 years ago by a Dr. Foster who said this, he said, uh, I'm pro-millennial, which means whatever it is that God decides to do, I'm okay with it. God's smarter than I am, and I accept whatever God does. That's where I am. So let me take that notch down. Let's not get hung up on controversies, and let's turn to Matthew 24, and let's listen and let's read a story or a section of stories and of conversations between Jesus and his disciples. Now, as we go to this section, let's understand this is this is moving very quickly to the time of Jesus heading to the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. These conversations, like the Last Supper, are pivotal. They're very, very important, and Jesus is passing along things of, of great importance to his disciples. Let's also be really clear who the audience is who hears this in the text. Well, whereas sometimes we read stories Jesus told the masses, Everything I'm about to share with you right now comes from Matthew 24 and 25. This is a discourse, a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. A question that might be in our mind today is, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a follower of Jesus? In this case, this passage, these things were written to 12 people who were with Jesus. Pick up your Bibles, if you would, and follow along starting in chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Jesus left the temple. He was walking away with his disciples, and his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings. 
Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, disciples came to him privately, that is just them. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Again, Jesus is definitely looking to things at the end. Remember that. That is imperative to all these stories. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, there's a lot we could get into, but I want to move to this story at the end of Matthew 25. So let's just jump ahead in chapter 24 to verse 36. Jesus says this, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood... People were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. He would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household? to give them their food at the proper time. That's a rhetorical question. Who is he with? He's with the 12. When he says that, what are they thinking about? Our job is to give the food at the proper time. You'll have to ask yourself the question, did the disciples accomplish that? Did they do what they were asked to do? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master has been staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants, to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour that he will not be aware of. He will cut him to pieces. He will assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you to gather this. Jesus is talking to the 12, and he is giving them a rather stark warning, and it is a question that they have to answer about being right with God. Am I a faithful servant or an unfaithful one? That's a question we need to wrestle with. And it was Jesus who said to his disciples, the unfaithful servant, the end is not good for the unfaithful servant. In Matthew 25, then, he tells three stories just to the disciples, to emphasize his point. The first, he talks about 
some virgins that are waiting for a bridegroom. It was a point about staying ready. Be ready for when he comes because you don't know when he's coming. A second story about a man in bags of gold, the parable of the talents and, and making good use of the things you're entrusted to and not letting them go to waste. And the final story he told his disciples is this one that's so profound about the very end of time. So join me in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31, for our primary text today. And let's consider what it looks like to be right with God and to be wrong with God. If our series title was Getting Right with God, who in this story is right and who is wrong? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Now the righteous will hear this, and they will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when were you thirsty and we gave you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. I think it probably got the attention of his disciples. <laughs> wow. I mean, if we're talking about last things, we're talking about some heavy last things. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. <laughs> they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or in prison and did not help you? 
And he will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What a powerful story. I mean, it begs this question of us, right? Am I a sheep or am I a goat? What am I going to do with that story? And what does it mean to be right with God? Well, in that story, right, it had a lot to do with the actions that I take every day, how I help others, how I minister to those in need, how my faith plays itself out. It's pretty important. When I came back from my sabbatical, I shared with you a verse that I, I think is really profound from Acts chapter 10, verse 38, where Peter is summarizing the life of Jesus. You've heard this a couple times now, but, but it says, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good, healing all who were under the influence or power of the devil. That was the way that he described the life of Jesus. So we would ask ourselves this question as we look to the text, did Jesus do the things that he asked us to do? When did Jesus feed the hungry? Well, you can think of several occasions, not the least of which was the day he fed the 5,000. And beyond that, Jesus said what of himself? I am the bread of life. I offer the bread of life to the world. And when did Jesus help the thirsty? Well, we can immediately think of like that wedding feast at Canaan, that water to wine thing, or the woman at the well where Jesus says, I am the living water. If you drink water I have, you'll never be thirsty again. When was it that Jesus was able to clothe someone? And we remember that madman of Gadara who ran around breaking free from the tombs and he was running around naked. But Jesus brought clothes to him and clothed him. Of course, not only that, we know that as Christians we are clothed with Christ. Jesus was certainly about the work of clothing us. Healing the sick, visiting the infirm, story after story, after story, Jesus cared about the sick. But what are the imprisoned? When did Jesus deal with the imprisoned? Well, Jesus, we know at his death, descended to set captives free. His words are, if I set you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus sets the captives free from their time in jail. And what about the strangers that he invites in? Wasn't that you and I? Aren't we foreign to God's holiness and righteousness because of our sin? And yet does he not invite us in? Did he not say, I go to prepare a place for you that one day you can be where I am? He did. Jesus didn't just tell the disciples be about these things because you're my sheep. Jesus, as the great shepherd, demonstrated to his disciples, this is how this plays out. This is what I'm doing. This is the good that it says, Peter said, this is the good that Jesus was doing. This is the gospel message that they were going to share, that Jesus was making a way for the sick the hungry, the sinful, the imprisoned, the lost, the unwelcome, to have hope, to have life, to have healing, to have meaning, to have purpose, to be saved. This was the good work, the doing good that Jesus was about 
making a way for the lost to be found. To his disciples, just days from the crucifixion, he says to the 12, if you're a sheep, you'll be just like me. You're going to look out for these things. You're going to care for these things. Now, one of the beautiful things that happens is that we see the disciples embrace the message of Jesus. And we know that in part by what takes place on the day of Pentecost. Now, last week we looked at the the message of Peter and his call to repent and to be baptized. So let's look a little farther. Just after those days that all those people became Christians, and let's just look for a minute and see what did they do? These new Christians being led by these disciples early in their ministry, what did the people do after hearing their teaching? What did the people do after uh, embracing Jesus? Well, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 2. Let's go there together, and let's pick it up about verse 42. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Check this next part out. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as he had need. If you were hungry, food. If you were thirsty, water. If you were naked, clothing. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sheep. Sheep who were living out the gospel, not with words, but with actions. Sheep who were following the lead of their shepherd, following him into the places that he went, seeking the lost, meeting the needs of the injured, and bringing people into the fold of the master. Jesus' words at the end of the story of the sheep and the goats to his disciples had been the righteous to eternal life. The disciples heard that, and I know it's obvious from how they lived their lives, they wanted to be right right with Jesus, right with God, and right with one another. It's a powerful thing to be right with God. But don't miss this. Each one of them had to ask themselves the question, am I living like a sheep or a goat? Am I being who God called me to be? Now, there's no question this was written, that Matthew 25 section was written for them. 
but isn't it also for all those who will come after, who will also say, I am a disciple of Christ? I am a follower of Jesus? That's you, and that's me. So today when we hear those words, there are a couple of responses we might have. Right? The first is the question, am I right with God? If I'm not, what needs to change? What needs to happen so that I can be right with God? We've already talked about what we do if we've never accepted Jesus. We've said, believe, repent, be baptized. And today, of course, we call you to faithful unto death. If you've not made that decision, let this be the day that you make the decision to accept Christ. For the rest of us, we already spoke the words, I believe Jesus is the Christ. I accept him as my Lord and as my Savior. That word Lord is a big one, isn't it? My master, the shepherd over me, the one I follow, the one who I will do what he asks me to do, the one for whom I will be a sheep that follows him, not a goat who doesn't. I don't know what decision that calls into your heart, but the Holy Spirit can lead us towards the place that God wants us to be. If you hear that message today and you feel convicted in an area, then, then respond to the Lord. Heed that conviction. Don't just let it pass by and think, boy, I'm glad that sermon's over. I don't want to think about that again. <laughs> do what you can do. Who are the naked, the hungry, the sick, the imprisoned, the thirsty, and the strangers in your world? And what are you doing about it? Who are the lost in your life that need to be found? Ponder that as we stand and we sing today our hymn of invitation. I give you my life. I give you my trust. You are my God, and you are.